What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Saturday Sports Talk rolls on. Hour number two of the show begins. Tennessee and Kentucky coming up this afternoon, as well as a lot of other college basketball games across the country as conference tournament play wraps up in the next two days. We've got Selection Sunday tomorrow. We will find out not only how Tennessee does in the SEC tournament, we'll find out exactly where Tennessee is as far as the NCAA tournament is concerned. We'll find out what seed Tennessee is. We'll find out where they're going, what region they're in, whose region they're in, who they're going to play, and what their road to the Final Four looks like. We are going to find all of that out within like the next 36 hours. It's, you know, it, once it gets going, college basketball, The you know, the long argument of college basketball is... It starts too early and it takes too long to get to the ultimate goal. I understand all of that, but once March gets here, whenever that calendar flips from February to March, it is madness. Oh, clearly that because it's called March Madness. Oh, I like recognize that. There something. we go. <laughs> Trademark it. Uh, I mean, it it happens so so quickly, and you know we're gonna look up here in you know two three weeks, Joel. College basketball is gonna be over. It's insane. Yeah. I I love this time of year. I I legit think now with you know sports gambling because I I do a bit of that. I hear um, you hear yes. <laughs> that that is, doesn't make sense. That is <laughs> this is now my favorite sports month of the whole entire se- uh, year. Really? Yeah, I love. Because we debated March. this recently on Sports 180. So March is your favorite sports month of the year. I think so. Wow. I mean, there's some other good ones. See, because October's was, great. Uh, Kane, Josh, and I had this discussion, and March wasn't number one for any of us. It's up there, but it wasn't number one for any of us. What was yours? October? October. Yeah. Because you've got, you're in the thick of football season. You kind of get into that midseason rivalry week in college football. You've got the NFL going on. You've got the start of hockey season. You, you've got college basketball kind of on the horizon. The NBA's right around the corner. The World Plus, Series. Yeah, you've got the World Series with baseball. You just have a lot happening that time of year. I mean, but like maybe I'm just being prisoner of the moment. Now ask me here in, in April, I'm gonna say, no, it's 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 a month in college football season, yeah. clearly. So, but right now, I mean, I'm just I'm just absolutely head over heels in love with March right now. It's yeah, no, so I, awesome. I think uh, the the way that I described it was I think March has the biggest apex of excitement. Yes. I think it reaches the greatest height simply because of the NCAA tournament. But I think as far as like the sports month as a whole, because here's the thing, once you get to the, like the elite eight, you're obviously still excited, but it, you kind of feel sad because there's only like four games. It's crazy though today, because I was looking at the, um, at the gambling board uh, this morning when I woke up and I was like, it's kind of sad seeing so few games on a Saturday whenever we've seen like 150 something games that we can bet on the last, you know, two, three months. It's kind of sad, obviously, as someone who, you know, gambles a ton, it's 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 a lot more, you know, manageable and you're not overwhelmed as much. 
But, uh, I mean, man, it's a fun time of year. And, hey, if Tennessee gets, you know, where they want to go, take down Kentucky today, big win last night against Mississippi State, get to where you want to go eventually. You know, Tennessee needs to break through, get past the Elite Eight this season. Might happen, might not. I tend to believe it's it's not going to happen. This team just has, you know, some limitations on offense. You know, defensively, it's always going to be there. But just on offense, I don't trust their consistency right now. But, I mean, if, if Tennessee's able to break through, I mean, this crowd's, I mean, this town is going to go absolutely berserk. Berserk. I think there's going to be a lot of buzz. I mean, it's been since 1979, the last time that Tennessee's won the SEC tournament. And I think if you get to that point where you're, finally able to overcome that. And and I think that's just it, it it's tough because there are a lot of national champions that go into the NCAA tournament with a loss because they didn't win their conference that's tournament. That's the thing. What does this mean? Like is is I don't want to say that the SEC tournament's not important, but I feel like the regular season might be a little bit more important because, I mean, as you mentioned, a lot of these teams don't win their conference you know, championship but still go win, you know, make an Elite Eight, make a Final Four, win a national title. So, I mean, how important is a conference tournament? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that the majority of Tennessee fans are honestly expecting Tennessee to win the national title this year? No then that's why the SEC tournament's important. So you can look back on it and at least get a championship out of this season. Because every even, even the Blue Bloods understand, the Dukes, the Kansas, the Kentuckys of the world, know how difficult it is to win a national title. And I mean, you said Duke hasn't won an, an ACC tournament since 06-07? Yeah. Wow. That's what Josh Ward said earlier this week. But yeah, we were kind of playing trivia with that. Like, who was Duke's go-to guy back then? So... It, it has been a long, long time. Um, Did Baylor win the Big 12 last year? The tournament? I don't remember. I don't either. I, I can't remember if it was them or Kansas. They didn't win it this year, I can tell you that. They did not win it this year, <laughs> my gosh. Oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, uh, going back, ACC men's basketball tournament. Uh, no, excuse me, Duke has won the tournament recently. They have not won an outright ACC title in the regular season since 2006. Okay. I screwed this up. Yeah, no, they've won plenty of ACC tournaments. Uh, so I got those flip-flopped. But yeah, uh, obviously Duke has won a lot of ACC tournament titles. But yeah, it's it's been a long time since they won an outright ACC regular season title. So Tennessee today, Tennessee, Kentucky, obviously in Tampa, semifinal of the SEC tournament. What chance do you get Tennessee? We asked Vince Farrar this, and you know we have talked about this too at nauseum this morning. It's like you're going to get all three degrees. Both teams defended their home court in dominant, dominant fashion. Tennessee got ran out of the building against Rupp. Kentucky comes down to uh, Thompson Bowling Arena a month later. They run them all the way back up 75. You kind of get the sense in this one, given the way both teams have played. You know, Kentucky didn't play the best last night, but hey, in this point, it doesn't have to be sexy. You just survive in advance and get to the next round. Tennessee did look, you know, pretty good last night at times. So what do you kind of expect from this game today for Tennessee and Kentucky? Kind of trying to gauge what we saw from these first two games. One of really the only consistent trends between these two games is Tennessee shooting. Let's let's not forget, Kentucky shot lights out against Tennessee at Rub. They, they shot 68% from the floor. They shot 61% from three. They were 95% from the free throw line. 
Tennessee still shot 53% from the floor and 48% from three-point range. At Thompson Bowling Arena, Tennessee shot 44% from the floor, 47% from three-point range. Tennessee has shot the ball really well against Kentucky this year. Both at Rupp and at Thompson Bowling Arena. What does that tell you? It obviously tells you that Tennessee is a really solid three-point shooting team. It also might suggest Kentucky doesn't guard the perimeter that well. Now, I think with what Vince was suggesting that Tennessee needs to be more aggressive. I think that's also very true because what did Tennessee not do against Kentucky at Rupp? They didn't get to the free throw line enough. What did Tennessee do a better job of at Thompson Bowling Arena? Taking charge, being the aggressor on offense, and getting to the free throw line when that inside offense wasn't clicking a whole lot. It is fair to point out Kentucky was very, very beat up whenever they came back here to Thompson Bowling Arena. Wheeler, you know was playing Ty Ty Washington play. Ty Ty Washington only played for 13 minutes and Wheeler did not have his best game. They were both very, very clearly banged up. They did limit Oscar Shibway enough offensively, but he did score, you know, grab down, you know, 15 rebounds. So he still made a, a big impact at well, that and game. He's, he's going to do that exactly. against whoever they play. Oscar Shibway is not going to get fewer than 10 rebounds. Um, and, and I think also though, okay, 13 points, but on 15 field goal attempts. Yeah, that that's inefficient for him. And so if you're forcing him, it's the same thing they did to Walker Kessler. Walker Kessler got his numbers. It just took him a while to get there. And so if he's having to do more and he's still giving you the same production, that means somebody else is doing less around the floor. It's very funny because, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I mean, we've all, you know, on this station had, you know, a lot of concerns about Tennessee's big man. But really, you look at the season, you know, the games that they've played against, you know, big, tall, you know, long guys, Arizona, they handled LSU at times, uh, Oscar Sheepway in Kentucky, Tennessee hasn't really been dominated by, you know, these big interior presence because I think that they do a great job that Rick Barnes does a fantastic job as far as rotating, constantly having fresh bodies on him. You know, you're going to see four guys, maybe five guys guard Oscar Sheboy today with, you know, Adu, Huntley Hatfield, uh, Euros, Fulkerson. I think that's a good way to stay fresh, and if you can, can can constantly keep a big body on him, you essentially limit the, you know, impact he's going to have on the game. As you mentioned, he's still going to have a double-double just because that's what Oscar Sheboy does, but you don't want him to go for 15-20. and 20. Yeah, and I think for Tennessee, you could try to be a little bit more well-rounded in this game because even when Tennessee beat Kentucky at Thompson Bowling Arena, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield, Euros Plavsic, Jonas Adu, five points and 12 rebounds combined for those three players. John Fulkerson at 14-8. and eight. He has not always been that productive. Now, he has shown up in big games this year. Arizona, Kentucky, he's had some big performances against big-time opponents. I think Tennessee is going to need a little bit more from its front court as a whole, and I think... Rick Barnes has done a nice job in the last few weeks of getting more production out of those guys. With that, though, um, Adu had three blocks against um, Oscar Sheboy. And that was really Adu's, you know, kind of coming out party. I mean, he's just standing up there just putting his arms yeah. straight up. I mean, no one's asking him to go out there and score, you know, 10, 12 points a game and grab down 8 to 10 rebounds. It would be nice if you're going to get that, but that's it's realistically that you're not going to get that. You're just asking him to go in there and be an athlete. And be tall. He's by far Tennessee's best rim defender, and I think he's gonna, you know, play some big minutes today because he he did he had some success against Gosher Sheboy the first time they met. Tennessee's effort against Auburn would go a long way in a game like today with Oscar Sheboy expected to dominate the boards. The way that Tennessee was able to grab offensive rebounds against Auburn.
just dominating the glass would be such a big boost for Tennessee in a game like this, where you can just limit the number of second chance points that Kentucky gets. Because that's what makes Oscar Shibway such a valuable weapon for Kentucky. It's that you don't have to shoot lights out to win games because you're going to get more opportunities just because you have Shibway on the floor. 656-9900, outside the local calling area. Star 990, a free call for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. So much more to discuss when it comes down to basketball. We've got a bracketology update later in the hour. How do you feel about Tennessee in the NCAA tournament after what Tennessee's accomplished in the second half of the SEC schedule? With Logan Ward, I'm Joel Silverberg. We will have more coming up on the other side. 656-9900 if you want to join us at the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting for Saturday Sports Talk on 99.1 The Sports Animal. Saturday Sports Talk rolls on. We're taking you up till 12 o'clock with Logan Ward. I'm Joel Silverberg from the Budweiser Studios of Cumulus Broadcasting. A happy birthday, by the way, to Eric Kane. Yeah, there you go. Isn't he like 35 That's today? why he's not on the show today. Eric Kane is not 35. No. Uh, but a happy birthday to Kaner, uh, which is why he's not on the show today. He's off celebrating his birthday. He's also... Uh, okay, he told me he had to take the show off because he's covering baseball. Tennessee baseball doesn't play today. I think I think he covered last night. Then why do you have to take today off? Uh, his birthday. I don't know. Maybe we went out and partied Whatever. after. He's out sledding right now. Probably the snow. <laughs> that I mean, surprise gosh, me. it's awful. I can't do snow. If, if we're having a staff snowball fight, Kane is the first person you're pelting in the face with a snowball, right? I can't think of anyone else right you now. Because here's the thing. You... you feel bad for Josh. Yes. So you're not doing it to Ward. You're not doing it to Tyler or Will because they'll just tackle you. You're not doing it to Ainge because he can throw it back at you. Yeah, so I would do it to Ainge, but I would want Ainge on my team. You would want to throw it at Ainge and then convince him that somebody else threw it. Correct, because he would believe it. Because Ainge thinking that this is funny would pack the snowball as hard and firm as he possibly can and then throw it as hard as he possibly could at your face. Correct. I think now he's also in for only maybe about four or five good throws and then he's going to be, you know, hurt the rest of the time. So you ha- so you just have to wait it out. Let exactly, him, yes. Let him pelt somebody else a couple let of times. Let him use all of his energy. And then unload on him. Exactly. And then he becomes like, Nick Miller from the show New Girl, where he just gets tired after balling his fist up. Right. It's a sad story. But happy birthday to Eric Kane. Also, congratulations are in order to Greg Popovich last night, passed Don Nelson for being the winningest coach in NBA history. More wins than anybody else. Over 1,300 wins for Pop. Uh, they had a big celebration in the locker room last night after the Spurs won. Heck of a career by Greg Popovich. I believe he is the longest tenured coach for a single franchise of any of the major four pro sports in North America. Because I think for the longest time, it was he and Barry Trotz, and then Trotz got fired. And so I believe Popovich has been at the Spurs longer than any active pro sports coach at any of the four major pro sports at a single franchise. That sounds right. I'm... I'm I can't think of any in baseball, and there, there's probably an obvious one, but let's be honest, I wouldn't know that anyway. Uh, neither would anyone <laughs> else. Um, NBA, yeah. NFL, I would say so. How long has been? How long has Belichick been at uh, New England? Late 90s. 
Pop's been there longer. Yeah. I don't know. Hey, because Bel- Belichick was with the uh, Belichick was with the Browns for a while, uh, and then they had that coaching change with Bill Parcells when he was with another organization. So, yeah, Belichick, I believe, took over in the mid to late nineties. Pop, I think, has been there just a little bit longer. So it's interesting. No, oh, yeah, that played out. Congrats to Pop. That's awesome. Six five six ninety nine hundred Tennessee and Kentucky coming up later today. Again, that game is scheduled to be to tip off at three. It's not going to happen. So don't sit in front of your TV at three o'clock and then be upset when Texas A and M and Arkansas are still on the tube. Uh, Texas A and M and Arkansas will play at one when their game ends. Tennessee and Kentucky will tip off twenty five minutes after that from Tampa. Six five six ninety nine hundred. We go to the phones and talk to Hitch. Hitch, good morning. You're on Saturday Sports Talk. Hey, good morning, guys. I heard y'all talking a little NFL football earlier. I don't try to talk too much football because my team's in sports purgatory forever. So I'm just trying to genuflect and get out um, and hoping that they're going to change that one day. You never can tell. But talking about the Tennessee team, um, the bigs that Tennessee has got, if you took our three top bigs and their three top bigs, they seem like they're a little more – they're, they're, they get up and down the court a little, a little easier than our, just like our guards. Our guards seem, you know, like, like no guards in the league run like our guards. But how far off are, are our bigs? How far have they come? You know, in, in the last two or three weeks, they they really seem they, like they've improved dramatically. I'll hang up, listen to your call. All right, Hitch, appreciate the phone call. I I think Tennessee's front court has come a really long way as far as the rotation. You'd like to see a little bit more consistent production out of John Fulkerson. I don't think he's had the season that he was hoping he would have. But at times, you've gotten big games from Jonas Adu and Brandon Hunley-Hatfield. And with the absence of Olivier Kumwa, I think that's been really important. Euros Plavsic, here's the thing. I described him as a liability probably 100 times over the course of his first two seasons in Knoxville. And the reality is he was. He was a serious defensive liability. I mean, he which barely is, played at all. Yeah, he couldn't stay on the floor because he... Just couldn't play defense. And and again, we that's been proven with Rick Barnes. If you can't play defense, you're not going to play. So Euros Plavsic gets a little bit better. His shot gets a little bit better. And so he's been a little bit more of a contributor, and he has stepped up in a big way this year. Olivier Cumwell looked like he might have been Tennessee's most improved player. He goes down for the year, and Adu and Hunley Hatfield have stepped up. And I think Tennessee's front court has come a long way. Now, in comparison to Kentucky, I don't think Tennessee has any individual player that can go pound for pound over the course of a game with Oscar Sheebley. Can a guy like Jonas Adu block shots against him or steal a couple of rebounds? Yes, but Oscar Sheebley is going to get his double-double throughout the course of a game. It's just going to happen. And if, unless Kentucky goes backcourt heavy with their approach, Oscar Sheebley is going to do big things for Kentucky. It's just a matter of how efficient is he going to be in getting those numbers. That's how you slow Kentucky down, is trying to make Kentucky one-dimensional. And I think that goes back to something uh, that I've, you know, said at nauseum, and that's what Tennessee has, in fact, done against every team that they've had, you know, where they've seen big, tall, long, really athletic big men that grab a lot of rebounds. Is that just, you know, throw multiple guys at them? You're not going to go out there and expect, okay, Huntley Hatfield, Euros, go out there, Oscar Sheboy's yours. He's yours for 40 minutes. Go ahead. You're not going to see that. You're going to see Fulkerson step in there and guard him, which, Joel, on offense for John Fulkerson, if he's against Oscar Sheboy, that's a big mess. Um, 
mismatch that Tennessee's going to have to take advantage of today because we saw that in game two. John Fulkerson drove right by Oscar Shibway yeah. many times. That's a big problem for Kentucky if that's going to be the matchup today. So, you know, that's something that Tennessee has to take advantage of. But, I mean, I just, I just keep going back to, I mean, you're not asking those four guys to go out there and, you know, go up against Shibway for all 40 minutes or however long he's going to play because he plays a lot. You're not going to ask him to do that. You just want to throw fresh bodies at him, and so he's getting tired, but you have four guys, one after another, that, you know, they're going to be tired, clearly, because Oscar Shibway's a beast. He's a monster. But if they're a lot more fresher and can just stand there and be athletic like a do, like Euros, because they're a lot taller than Oscar Shibway is, if you just get them to be athletes and just stand up and hold their arms up and allow Oscar Shibway to well, have him try to go over you, that's a recipe that Tennessee used in game two against Kentucky, and it, it really worked. He still got his. He's still going to have you know, a double-double. That's what he does. I, I think you're right. And not only that, just the aggression that Vince Ferrara talked about in the last hour for Tennessee on the attack. Look at that Arkansas game from last Saturday. Tennessee goes right at the rim to start things off. Jalen Williams immediately commits a foul. Now Arkansas's entire approach has to change because he picks up a foul 12 seconds into the game. You get Oscar Shibway in foul trouble, and, and that's here's the thing. He's such a good shot blocker. He's such a good rebounder that he can do all these things without fouling. But if you can get Oscar Shibway in some foul trouble, now Kentucky has to change their game plan. Now Kentucky has to go through somebody else. Now Oscar Shibway has to back down if John Fulkerson's being the aggressor and posting up against him. It's all these little things that can add up to a big difference for Tennessee. And you're right. If Fulkerson's willing to be able to push the initiative there and Shibway's got a foul or two, well, keep going at it. Keep attacking it. Keep doing it until he can find a way to stop it without fouling. 656-9900-1866-656-9900 outside the local calling area. Star 990, a free call for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. Bracketology update. Where does Tennessee stand after yesterday? Was there any other movement? Can Kentucky potentially play their way to a number one seed if they beat Tennessee today? A lot could be on the line, more so than just an SEC championship. We'll get an update from Joe Lenardi of ESPN when we come back. His bracketology released this morning as we get to the final two days of conference tournament action and we'll have all the coverage for you right here on the sports animal when Tennessee plays Kentucky coming up after three o'clock this afternoon with Logan Ward. I'm Joel Silverberg. 656-9900 is how you join us right here on 99.1 the sports animal. Saturday sports talk rolls on 90 minutes left to go in this edition of Saturday sports talk. Bracketology update after yesterday with Tennessee advancing after a win over Mississippi State. Joe Lenardi updated his bracketology, as did Jerry Palm of CBS Sports. We'll start with Joey Brackets, and I thought this was interesting. Despite the win for Virginia Tech over North Carolina, Joe Lenardi still has the Hokies as his first in his first four out. That's kind of a head-scratcher to me. I think they've put themselves in, in, in my opinion. I think it goes to show how little everybody thinks of the ACC this year. Yeah, that's true. Virginia Tech is the 30th ranked team in the net. They just moved up seven spots after that win. I would really think that they've got a shot to be in, even if they lose to Duke today. Because there's Ken no Paul shame has them in losing. At 25. Yeah. If, if the Hokies aren't in, I think that's a slight by the committee in that situation. That's not cool. So we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, he, he still has Tennessee as a three seed. And again, I think that was to be expected. 
win over Mississippi State. It's good that Tennessee got it, but it's not eye-popping. So Tennessee right now, a three-seed going to Pittsburgh to take on Colgate, Notre Dame, and Boise State would be the other two teams in that little pod in the bracket going uh, to that first weekend site in Pittsburgh. Uh, That would have Tennessee in the same region as Purdue as the number two seed. Gonzaga would be the one. I don't like that for Tennessee at all. I really don't. You don't like how the Zags match up against the Vols? No, I don't. Not at all. I wouldn't like how the Zags match up against a lot of teams. I mean, especially, you know, just going off of what, you know, Joe Lenardi has here. If, you know, if you make it to Sweet 16, match up against Purdue. Purdue has not been good defensively lately. It's true. But they're also the number one ranked offense in the country. They are. And they can outscore with anybody, but defense has struggled. Another team that I... I mean, they just lost to Nebraska. Yeah, another team that I don't really trust right now is Purdue. They're very Auburn right now. They're I don't score a ton of points, but you don't really trust them. I don't think Purdue is capable of winning a national championship with the I don't way either anymore. played. I don't either. A month ago, I would have said, yeah, I love Purdue. I I don't don't think you can just go and try to outscore teams for six consecutive games and expect to win a national title. Not not if you're defense. Because here's the thing. The number one offense in the country is based on points per 100 possessions. They play with some tempo. They play with some pace. The problem is, is that if they go cold, they're going to lose because they can't stop anybody. And that's the difference of what we've seen with other teams like Tennessee. When Tennessee goes cold, they can sometimes find ways to win. And in the last month or so, they've been able to do that. Earlier in the season, they weren't. They went cold against Alabama. They went cold against Texas. They went cold against Texas Tech. Lost those games. Hasn't been the case lately for Tennessee. At times, they've gone cold. They went cold for stretches in the second half against Arkansas. They found a way to win the game. So I I think as a three seed, that's kind of where you expect Tennessee to be. Bracket Matrix right now still has Tennessee as a number three seed, but they have Tennessee as the number one number three seed. They were the third number three seed earlier. Of course, Wisconsin losing yesterday certainly helps Tennessee's case. So let's see what happens. But I do think Villanova, Duke, Kentucky, and Kansas have all done enough to stay on that two seed line. Now, if Tennessee beats Kentucky today, maybe it's a head-to-head win. The committee doesn't always take those head-to-head wins, those head-to-head results into account. Villanova advancing to the Big East final, I think, has already done enough. Duke advancing to the ACC final. I don't know, maybe a loss to a Virginia Tech team that Joe Lenardi doesn't think a whole lot of could change things. Kansas made the Big 12 final. If they lose to Texas Tech, I mean, that would help Texas Tech just as much as it would help Tennessee to beat Kentucky. Texas Tech also on that three-seed line. I just don't see a scenario where Tennessee... You know, even if they win the tournament, I just don't know if I see enough where Tennessee jumps somebody. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I th- I think a one seed's out of the picture, clearly. A two seed's there. You need some things to happen. Um, I don't envision them being... I don't think that they would drop Kansas from the one line if they were to lose today because Texas Tech's a very good team, and then you have to take into account, well, you know, what does, you know, a Big 12 championship do for, you know, either team? What- yeah, um, I, I just I don't see a whole lot of stuff either. You know that can happen ahead of Tennessee to get to a two seed. I think a three seed is is what you're gonna get. And it's interesting because Tennessee actually ranks eighth in the net rankings right now. So by that judgment, that would actually put Tennessee on the two seed line. But again, that's not the only determining factor. I think you have to like 
Tennessee's odds. Jerry Palm of CBS Sports also has Tennessee as a number three seed uh, going up against St. Peter's with Iowa and Texas A&M being the other two teams. That would actually be an interesting 3-11 matchup if that's how the bracket broke out. Uh, Kansas, the number two seed in that region. Arizona, the number one. So a Kansas team that has looked finicky at times, to say the least, and an Arizona team that Tennessee has already defeated this season. An Arizona team that is without one of their best players in Kirk Kreese right now, who left the other game in a wheelchair, didn't didn't play last night. He's not expected to play tonight against UCLA. We'll have to see his availability get down to the tournament. But, I mean, I'm looking at Joe Lenardi's uh, bracket right now, Joel. In the East region, have you seen the murderer's row that that is? Baylor, the number one seed, Auburn, the number two, Nova, the number three, Arkansas, the number four, Houston, the number five, and Alabama, the number six. Yeah. I, I tell you, if this is how the bracket plays out, I might take Rutgers to beat the Crimson Tide in that first round matchup. But I mean, just look at that. I mean, seven, Ohio State, another, you know, decent team. Eight, nine matchup, North Carolina, Creighton. Both teams are very hot right now. Creighton, obviously, probably one of the hotter teams in the tournament right now. Has North a chance Carolina to, just got cooled off by Virginia Tech true, yesterday. But, I mean, what a murderer's row right here. And then one of the matchups I would be fascinated to see, the 4-13 matchup between Arkansas and Chattanooga. That's a murderer's row bracket right there. Yeah, if I'm Arkansas, I'm not happy, especially since the uh, 5-12 matchup is Houston against either Michigan or Xavier. I don't think Xavier gets in. Uh, I I think that's really funny. And now Memphis has played up to an eight seed, according to Joe Lenardi, which kind of bums me out because I was really hoping that Memphis would be an 11 and in the same region as Tennessee so we could get a potential 3-11 in the uh, second round. That's what the sports gods wanted. You know, the sports god wanted uh, Tennessee and Memphis to play in the NCAA tournament. The sports gods also need, well, I guess they they didn't want because it didn't happen. The sports gods needed to make the Memphis-Tennessee matchup happen in the NCAA tournament. You needed to see Michigan play Wisconsin again. Clearly, not going to happen. But, I mean, man, but no, I mean, as we talked about earlier, Memphis, you know, struggled a lot with injuries at first, you know, the first part of the season towards the half part of the year. But, I mean, last month or so, they're rolling. Yeah, Memphis ranks 31st in the net rankings and is actually a 10 seed according to Bracket Matrix, but they are 26th in Ken Palm. Memphis finding its stride at the right time. Penny Hardaway finally going to the NCAA tournament. And earlier this year, that did not look like it was going to happen. Let me ask you about Texas A&M because right now he has them as the first team of the next four out. You think if they beat Arkansas today, they're in? Or, or do they have to win the SEC tournament? Man, it, it's going to be tough. They're 51 in net right now. They don't have, and 51 they in Ken Palm. Don't have a great resume. Auburn's the best win. It's yeah. going to be tough for them. But I, mean, they, they're, I mean, based on what Joe Lenardi is saying, they are going to have to jump five teams. I, I just don't know if that, if that happens. And Bracket Matrix has them on the outside looking in as well. I mean, that, that'd be a tough follow-up. Now, here's the thing. If, if Texas A&M wins the tournament, obviously they deserve what they got because that, that would mean wins over Auburn, Arkansas, and either Kentucky or Tennessee. So it'd be a heck of a run. You're in. If they beat Arkansas today, I think the committee would have to give them a lot more consideration. You also have to look at what happens before. I mean, if, if Virginia Tech loses today against Duke, 
based off Lenardi, he, he has them next four out. Well, the first team of the next four out, which I kind of think that they should be in. I mean, Oklahoma, they're done. Wake Forest, they're done. They had an all-time collapse the other day. Dayton, Texas A&M's there, but I mean, I, I, I just think, you know, if they can get by Arkansas today, clearly they're... There's going to have to, you know, have some stuff happen ahead of them. Some other teams are, are going to have to fall. But, the, I mean, they're... I mean, those two quadrant three losses are going to kill Texas A&M. Like, that's what I think it ultimately comes down to. You can't lose to South Carolina at home. And you can't lose... I mean, I mean, you that TCU loss isn't great. It's on a neutral floor, so it's like, ah, it's quad one. But that South Carolina loss in College Station is bad. Lost to Missouri at home as well. Yeah. I mean, they just went on that streak where they just couldn't buy a win from mid-January to mid-February. Like, you just you can't do that in conference play and then try to make it back in. It's just, it's too difficult. Like, there just aren't enough quality wins there. Three and nine in quad one games, two quadrant three losses. I, I just, that's just not a tournament resume. So it is what it is. We'll see how everything plays out. I, I'm I'm excited. Uh, this is the fun stuff, though, where we get in and see, okay, which team that might have struggled at one point can put together a run that's legitimate. Memphis has done that. Texas A&M might have just been too little too late. 656-9900. We will come back. So much to talk about with the tournament, the NFL quarterback situation, what is happening around the NFL in the quarterback carousel. And then, of course, in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll have Logan's Locks after we preview Tennessee and Kentucky, who wins and why. With Tennessee and Kentucky coming up after 3 o'clock today, we'll have it right here for you on 99.1, the sports animal. Final segment, hour number two of Saturday Sports Talk with Logan Ward. I'm Joel Silverberg. So we talked in the first hour about the NFL quarterback situation, how there are no criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. A grand jury yesterday declined to indict Watson, which means the Texans can start negotiating a trade. The Panthers are reportedly in the mix to make a very aggressive offer in order to get Deshaun Watson to Carolina. It's also been a big week outside of that. Aaron Rodgers announced on Tuesday that he is going to be staying in Green Bay. Russell Wilson made the move to Denver in a big trade after uh, Denver obviously failed to get Aaron Rodgers. So Rodgers stays in Green Bay. Wilson goes on the move to Denver. What do you think about that? About which one? Uh, the, you know, Russell Wilson to Denver. Because, I mean, that's that's murderer's row as far as quarterbacks. You got, you know, you got Carr, Herbert, Mahomes, now Russell Wilson. Wow. I think it's a nice move for Denver as they have struggled to figure out the quarterback situation. They have not been able to find success through the draft. Uh, Paxton Lynch didn't work. Drew Locke didn't work. They brought in Teddy Bridgewater. That didn't work. I think having a, I, I think this cycle of getting a quarterback carousel so that struggling teams can find established, successful quarterbacks is going to be the norm. And I'm surprised that it didn't happen sooner because think back on history, how many teams have drafted quarterbacks over and over and over again of all these different starters over the years, struggling franchises. And you either keep doing it until you eventually hit gold or you have to go get somebody that can already do the job. And so the Bengals were very fortunate that they were able to get Joe Burrow, 
who was immediately able to make some improvements on the offense and they made some changes on defense. They still need to fix the offensive line, but you pair Burrow with Jamar Chase and suddenly, you know, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd come into the mix. And now the Bengals are, you know, a, a first down away from potentially winning the Super Bowl. So you look around the rest of the league and you have Los Angeles and Tampa, which went and got new quarterbacks that were veterans and won Super Bowls in those first seasons, Tom Brady in Tampa, and then the Rams in Los Angeles. So I, I think that we look at situations like that and see that that is going to be something that becomes a lot more common where the quarterback carousel becomes a bit of an annual thing. Uh, you're seeing Mitch Trubisky linked to the New York Giants. Carson Wentz is out at Indy after they traded him to Washington now the thought is, if Jimmy Garoppolo is gone from San Francisco because they want to roll with Trey Lance, does Garoppolo go to Indy? You know, what does Miami do? They said they were going to stand by two of. Is that really going to happen? I think Jimmy Garoppolo to Indy, it just kind of fits. And then also, what does Pittsburgh do now that Ben Roethlisberger's gone? I mean, you... It's... Jared it is funny to do today, though, because I can't remember the guy who said it during during CBS Sports, but it's funny that kind of how all of this, you know, trading and, you know, rumors about, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Colts and, you know, Aaron Rodgers resigns and Russell Wilson goes to Denver. It's kind of crazy how this all happened a week after the uh, the NFL Combine. I think that goes to say yet again this NFL, you know, draft as far as quarterbacks, it's not it's not that great. And you know, now I guess Pittsburgh's probably outside looking in, you're probably going to um you're probably going to have to draft Malik Willis, Pickett, Corral and take a chance on there. Yeah. And I I haven't heard much about any of those guys being considered NFL ready. Oh, I don't think so at all. Granted that hasn't meant anything in the past because during that blockbuster class from a few years ago uh, there were a lot of pundits who believed that Josh Rosen was the most NFL ready quarterback in the entire class and he's what played on three different teams already and hasn't really established himself as a starter let alone as an asset so I, I think for Denver you made the right move you had to go get somebody you have an offensive minded head coach now getting Russell Wilson Russell Wilson apparently did not want to be in Seattle anymore I can't really blame him because I don't think they've handled him in the best possible way. They haven't given him the best help. Once the Legion of Boom disappeared, their defense got significantly worse, putting more pressure on the offense. And Russell Wilson hasn't had an offensive line for the majority of the time he's been there. And I think after losing that second Super Bowl, they just failed to really ever get back into a position where they could realistically compete again. I mean, he's had decent receivers, you know, Metcalf, Lockett's obviously very solid. He He's had a couple of tight ends. Uh, the Jimmy Graham stuff didn't really work out that well, but I mean, he's had great weapons. Exactly, but when, as you, you know, mentioned, Chris Carson can hold on to the football and not get or, injured, or yeah, exactly, or you know, just stay on the field. Um, you did mention though, you know, he's no one has blocked for him in three years, and that's why he's getting hurt. But now he's going to a young team, a young uh, offense, some young playmakers, uh, uh, receiver, Sutton, uh, Judy, a good young offensive line. I think that Denver's going to be dangerous next year. I really do. There's been a lot of unnecessary hate towards Russell Wilson, I think, this week. They're saying, well, he's not what he's used to be. Okay, we're only saying that because he didn't play last he, season. He, he Here's the thing. He still appeared in 14 games. Yeah. It's not like he missed all this time, but the problem was is that when he came back with the finger injury, he clearly wasn't as effective. 
And I think he came back a little too soon when Seattle still had an outside shot at a playoff berth because Seattle started out okay, but it became evident early on after blowing that come from behind game to Tennessee in week two. And this team has some problems on defense, but Russell Wilson can still ball. Russell Wilson breaks his finger. Okay. Now their season falls apart. Uh, Russell Wilson has missed three games in his entire career. He had not missed a start before this past season. He is the only quarterback in history to have nine consecutive winning seasons as a starter. So he'll be entering his 11th year in the NFL. I think a change of scenery could be good for him. I would expect him to be successful. Do I think Denver is going to be a Super Bowl contender? No. Should they be a wild card team? Yes. I think Denver has a right to expect a playoff berth with Russell Wilson at quarterback. I mean, someone's going to, someone clearly will get left out of that division. Raiders, wild card team this year. Chiefs, obviously, they're they're going to make the playoffs. And then, you know, the Chargers are so interesting to me because, you know, you look at the young weapons that they have around him, a good head coach, Justin Herbert, I think is going to be a stud in the NFL. I'd say right now they're probably the team on the outside looking in of that division. They still might be a year away. Yeah. But I, I think when you look at the quarterback well, situation. I said that about the, the Bengals this year, but yeah, we, well, we saw I, what happened. I, I think for from the standpoint of the Raiders from a quarterback situation, I think you look at that and say Carr's four out of four. I think Herbert's I think Herbert's number three, Wilson's number two, and Mahomes is number one. And and that's with Carr having a fantastic season from a number standpoint. He was really good this year. So it, that that's just the depth that you're looking at in the AFC West and somebody is going to be left out. 656-9900. We'll come back for hour number three of Saturday Sports Talk with Logan Ward. I'm Joel Silverberg here on 99.1, the Sports Animal. Get an inside look at Hollywood with Michael Rosenbaum. Let's get inside of my buddy, Kamal Nanjiani. When you talk about Eternals and it wasn't the response that you were hoping, how did that affect you? Marvel thought that we'd be going on a wave of raves, you know, and it wasn't true. The reviews were really bad. And you were aware of it while you were on tour? Yeah, I was too aware of it. And so very intentionally, I did start counseling. Emily says that I do have trauma from it. Inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen.